Hello and welcome to Near East Christian Fellowship Sermon. The topic for today is the basis for judgment by Pastor Frederick Litong. Listen and be blessed. Amen. Now, whenever we hear judgment, most times we get scared because of judgment. Even when people speak to us, sometimes we say, don't judge me. Why are you judging me? Why are you looking at me? Why are you judging me? Sometimes in our sense of guilt, when we are wrong, whatever thing people say, we ascribe it to people judging us. Hallelujah. I trust that God will help us to understand what judgment, what this judgment is. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even saved, gave rather his own, his one and only begotten son, that whoever believes and trusts in him as Savior shall not perish but have eternal life. 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge and condemn the world, that is to initiate the final judgment of the world, but that the world might be saved through him. 18. Whoever believes and has decided to trust in him as personal Savior and Lord is not judged. But this one, there is no judgment, no rejection, no condemnation. But the one who does not believe and has decided to reject him as personal Savior and Lord is judged already. That one has been convicted and sentenced because he has not believed and trusted in the name of the one and the only begotten Son of God, the one who is truly unique, the one, the only one of his kind, the one who alone can save him. Verse 19. This is a judgment that is the cause of the indictment, the test by which people are judged. The basis, that's where the topic, the, the message comes from. The basis for the sentence, the basis for the judgment, the basis for condemnation, the basis for the wrath of God, the basis for the judgment. The sentence, the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For every wrongdoer hates the light and does not come to the light but shrinks from it for fear that his sinful worthless activities will be exposed and condemned. The last verse, verse 21. But whoever practices truth and does what is right morally, ethically, spiritually comes to the light so that his works may be plainly shown to, the, to be what they are, accomplishing God, divinely prompted, done with God's help, independence on him. Hallelujah. That is the basis for judgment. That light has come to this world. And men have seen the light. They know what the light is. But they willfully make a decision to reject what the light is. To stick onto their darkness. Hallelujah. Now, the day of judgment is eminent. What I mean by eminent is whether you believe in it or you don't believe in it, I would advise you rather to believe in it than to find out that it's true. If you don't, hallelujah. The day of judgment is eminent. A day is coming where all will stand before God for judgment. Help me with Hebrews chapter 9, quickly. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27.
Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And just as it is appointed and destined for all men to die once, and after this comes certain judgment. Hallelujah. You die once, and then what? Judgment comes. Yes? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It says, for we believers will be called to account. Now, this is talking about believers. Amen. For we believers will be called to account and must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may be repaid for what has been done in the body. Whether good or bad, at least each will be held responsible for his actions, purposes, goals, motives, the use or misuse of his time, opportunities, and abilities. There's a day for recompense. There's a day for what? That every one of us will be called to account for what God has given us. There's a day for judgment. Romans chapter 2 verse 6 to 8. Romans chapter 2 verse 6. He will pay back to each person according to his deeds. Justly as his deeds deserve. Our God is a God of justice. The next verse, verse, verse 7, says, To those who by persistence in doing good seek unseen but certain heavenly glory, honor, and immortality, he will give the gift of eternal life. Verse 8, it says, But for those who are selfishly ambitious and self-seeking and disobedient to the truth, but responsive to wickedness, there will be wrath and indignation. Jump verse 16, down to verse 16, quickly, verse 16. On that day, when as my gospel proclaimed, God will judge the secrets, all the hidden thoughts and the concealed sins of men, through who? Through Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Through who? Through Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, that is where your security lies. Because the judge is your savior. Hallelujah. The judge is even the one that has paid for your sins. We can read many, many scriptures on and on and on and on to see that there is a day of judgment. And when we talk about a day of judgment, including the righteous and the unrighteous will be judged. Hallelujah. Now, there are two kinds of judgment. One part of the judgment is what has already been executed now. As you are stated here, judgment has been declared. And there is another judgment that will come that will be a reward for those who do what is right in the body. That is to the saints. Hallelujah. That each one of us is going to be paid, be rewarded according to what we've done. If what we've did or what we are doing right now is in Christ or in the flesh. When we read 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10 to 15 talks about your works passing through a test. The test of fire. There will be a sense of assessment to what you're doing, whether there will be a reward as a believer or there wouldn't be a reward for you. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, it is, it is, it is very, very important to be sure whether you are part of those who God has forgiven. Ignorance cannot be an excuse on the day of the Lord's coming. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 talks about, you know, we've been without excuse. Romans chapter 1 verse 20. Ignorance cannot be an excuse before God and say, I don't know. Forever since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, 
His eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, been understood through his workmanship. All his creation, the wonderful things that he has made, so that they are, or they who fail to believe and trust him, are without excuse and without defense. Hallelujah. So will this be your, your situation when you face God and say, Lord, I, don't, I, I, I couldn't believe, I didn't know. And if you're in this hall today, it's quite unfortunate for you. For hearing me, it means that you've been indicted. Hallelujah. You are without an excuse because you know that there is a God. And the Bible says that he is a rewarder of those who faithfully and diligently seek him. Hallelujah. Do the coming of the Lord excite you or terrifies you? When you hear about the second coming of the Lord, does it make you feel afraid? Or it excites you? Or there's a sense of excitement in your heart about the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back to this world. If you're not excited, it means that you should check your standing. Because a true believer will be excited that the Lord is coming. Now, without a relationship with God, you are already on the disadvantaged side on the day of judgment. That is what it means. Without a relationship with Christ, with God through Jesus Christ, you are already on a disadvantaged side. Amen? And the most expensive assumption any individual in this place can make is to assume to have a relationship with God, whereas it is not so. That would be one of the biggest assumptions you make, the most costly, the most expensive assumption you ever make in your existence. It's better you were never born than for you to born and to assume that you are born again and then you are truly not born again. Hallelujah. But while you are still alive right now, there's an opportunity for you to check and ensure that truly you have a relationship with God. If there's any man to be, to be very much assumed to be in a right standing with God, in our standard as men, the man Nicodemus is an ideal man. We read from the beginning in John chapter 3, where we had a reading. John chapter 3 from verse 7 tells us who Nicodemus was. I believe I'm building a case, a serious case here. And the intention is not to indict you, to make you feel judged in a negative way. But if you feel judged, there is an opportunity for you to, to receive the mercy of God. Hallelujah. John chapter 3 from verse 1. <coughs> now there was a certain man among the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler, a member of the Sanhedrin among the Jews, who came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, we know without any doubt, certainly we know, if the Bible is yours on the line, we know without doubt, that you have come from God as a teacher. No one can do these signs, these wonders, these attesting miracles that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, I show you and must solemnly say to you, unless a person is born again, reborn from above, spiritually, transformed, renewed, sanctified, he cannot ever see and experience the kingdom of God. Verse 5. 
Okay, verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter his mother's womb a second time and be born again. Can he? Jesus answered, I show you, and I must solemnly say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot ever enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. The physical is merely physical. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be surprised that I have told you, you must be born again. Reborn from above, spiritually transformed and renewed and sanctified. Hallelujah. Now, Nicodemus here is a prominent leader. Verse 1 says he's part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is a council. A council of judges like a supreme court of the nation of Israel as of then. Of course, we have those at the subnational, about uh, 23 of them that serve in the provinces or states, if you can call them, and those that, you know, they serve at the national, about 71 of them. A prominent leader, a member of the Sahendrin, an authority, and for you to be a Sahendrin, you must be influential. Amen? What I mean by influencer, you must command a level of influence for you to be appointed to be part of the Sahendrin. He's a man of influence and affluence. In our standard, he's an achiever. A Pharisee is not only a leader, he's not only part of the Sanhedrin, he's also a Pharisee. What does it mean? A Pharisee is an expert in the Old Testament scriptures. He's influential, he has power, he's economically and, you know, and, 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 and politically connected. He understands the scriptures, he, he's a teacher of the law of God. A moral standard of society and achiever by every human standard. And when we see him, we will see the perfection of a man that have gotten it all on earth. When we see him, we will see him as a dream man, a man that we all aspire, that inspires us, that is a role model for young people. I, I assume Nicodemus to be a man where a young believer will aspire to become like. Oh, I want to be like Nicodemus. He has his life, his balance. You know, he's, he's a spiritual man. He teaches the word. He's, he's, he's a polit political figure in the society. He is influential. He's economically empowered. But then there is a critical thing. The Bible says that men see separate, differently from the way God sees her. Right? Men see physically, but God sees deep into their heart. And when he came to Jesus, by merely asking, by merely coming to Jesus and, 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 and interact, Jesus Christ immediately address the most fundamental problem there is in his life. Nicodemus was not born again. Nicodemus have not come to a place where he has encountered this truth as an experience in his life. He teaches the word. He understands the word. He has been blessed massively. He has influence and affluence. He has gotten virtually everything that life can give. But then there's something that is missing in his life that is quite very integral and important. And his word is eternal. What cannot be bought by political office? What cannot be bought by power? What cannot be bought by education? What cannot be purchased by influence or political connection? Nicodemus was not born again. Give me verse 2. We're going to see like four things in verse 2. Things to note from verse 2. Firstly, he went to Jesus. The Bible says that who came to Jesus at night and said to him, he came to Jesus. 
Many people will say many things. I saw theologians writing different things about why the man came to Jesus Christ. Some say it's because he never wanted people to see him, so he Nicodemusly come in the night so that men will not see him. He doesn't want to be identified with Jesus. How can a prominent man like him be identified with someone that is not really learned or someone that is inexperienced or a younger person because Jesus was quite young? Or probably he had a tight schedule and the only time he has is the night time. So he just have to come at the time that he's chance to come at his own, at his own leisure. Whatever it might be, like whatever the reason that brought you to Christ, whatever excuses, but this man came to Christ, he came to Jesus. And what I want to take from this place is that coming to Jesus Christ does not automatically translate to being born again or having relationship with him. That's the point I want us to know because all of us here have come to Christ. We've come to church because we in the court all want to come to worship Jesus. We've all come. But coming to this place does not necessarily mean that you are born again. Hallelujah. Many come to Jesus, but for different reasons and purposes. The scribes and the Pharisees often come to Jesus to set trap, to ask questions just to justify themselves. So men come to Jesus because they need food to eat. Right? You can perform 5,000 and then we'll see miracles for to feed 5,000 people. Some come to Jesus because they want healing. Some come to Jesus because what? They want certain things to be sorted out in their lives. And all of us here have different reasons why we, come, why we came here. But those reasons is not what translates to salvation. You can be healed. You can be fed. You can be part of the 5,000. You can eat and be okay, but you will not make eternity. So coming to Jesus is good, but it's not enough to translate into or being a believer, a born-again Christian. Some people just want to identify with him. A sense of identity with the coolest thing in town or for different practical needs. As I said, healing and all those things. Let me not just be ostracized in the society and say I'm without religion. Let me just be part of a social gathering. Let it be that in the morning I came to church like everybody. Let me be part of a community. That doesn't necessarily translate to you having a relationship with Jesus. Hallelujah. Second thing to note, knowing about Jesus and listening to his teaching is not enough to escape eternal condemnation. Listening to Jesus, he says, listen, look, look at what he says. He identified and called Jesus rabbi, teacher. This indeed is a truth about Jesus, but this is not the truth that saves. Hallelujah. He called Jesus teacher. He acknowledged the authority upon him. He acknowledged the ability of Jesus to interpret even the scriptures that he is an expert in. Some of us acknowledge Jesus. See, the, the Muslims accept Jesus as a prophet. So many philosophers have seen Jesus as a philosopher, one who has influenced the world when he was on earth. But the acknowledgement of Jesus as a philosopher, as a teacher, as a prophet, is not what saves. Hallelujah. Acknowledging Jesus as someone that motivates you is not what saves. Acknowledging Jesus as a role model is not what saves. I want to be like Jesus. Perfect. 
excellent. That is the desire of every believer. But that is not what saves. I'm touching on very thin line here. The third thing to note, he says, we know you are from God. Hmm. The knowledge about the origin of Jesus and even what he came to do is not tangible enough to give you eternal salvation. He didn't say, I know. He said, we, we've sat down, we've discussed with my colleagues in the national level. We've known that you are, you come from God. Hallelujah. So for you to know that Jesus came from God is good. There's not even demons, they know that Jesus is from God. So they believe that Jesus is the son of God. So what makes it different from the one you know? So just knowing where Jesus came from, what he has come to achieve. Oh, you can narrate the salvation story. Oh, Jesus came to die on the cross for my sin. It's good to know these things. It's important to know this fact. We teach this every single, every single year in this church. But you see, knowing that is not sufficient to declare you eternally free from the condemnation that is to come. The fourth thing that we can check from verse 2. He acknowledges that God was with Jesus through his works. Acknowledging the works of Christ as, di as divinely orchestrated by God is not enough to secure you on the judgment day. Oh, the Lord has done it. We thank God. You testify of what God has done. You testify of how God sometimes when I ask people, what is your testimony of faith? They begin to tell me how they were driving and there was an accident. And then they shouted the name Jesus and God saved them. Hallelujah. Jesus saved you. And he will save in any circumstance. We pray here that God should break yokes in people's life. God should restore people. God should give people hope. God should give people this and that. That is not a salvation story. That is not what saves. That is not what guarantees your eternal security. Hallelujah. Now quickly, let's jump down to verse 16 to 21. Give me verse 16. It says, for God so greatly loved the world. Let me tell you that God does not love you. Amen? He so greatly loved you. Hallelujah. God doesn't just love you. He so dearly, greatly, graciously loved you. And what did he do by loving you? He daily prized the world that he even gave his one and only begotten son that whosoever, whoever believes and trusts in him as what? As a provider of food on the table? As a healer? As your bank alert? As what? Savior shall not what perish but have eternal life. Hallelujah. The universality of God's love. That is, God's love is universal in his, in his nature. God's love is for mankind, for God's love of the world. The world there refers to mankind, the human nature. The, the, not, not rather human nature, but humanity, human race. Hallelujah. So if you are the one that's been coming, you've been coming to church, or you are here and you've never truly understood what it means to be born again, let me announce to you that God loves, it includes you. Amen? 
the most violent offender on this earth. God's love includes him. Think of the worst terrorist you can ever think. Even the person that hurts you and you hate him and you are praying God, let his leg do like this. God loves him. Amen. And let me tell you again that you can do nothing about the love of God towards that person. God's love is universal and he has demonstrated it. God's love is what prompted him to give us Jesus. And he says, whoever means everyone is qualified for God's love, regardless of your history or where you're coming from. Your history, your track record of sin, of rebellion, whatever you think you've done in the past, God loves encapsulate you. Amen? Including you, including myself, and everyone that is upon the earth. God loves including us all. Your history, where you're coming from, what your background is, what you've done, what you've not done, what you will do. God's love includes you. Now, faith is a basis for accepting and accessing God's love, eternal life. That is, that is the basis, right? That is basic and the basis for accepting and accessing God's love. Believing is the only factor that will guarantee you eternal life. Salvation is not a function of what you do. Amen? It's not a function of what you orchestrate by your hand and say, let me assist God in saving me. Ephesians chapter 1, rather, Ephesians chapter 2, rather, verse 1. Help me quickly. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. I will read very fast and then we'll move on. And you, he made alive when you were spiritually dead. Now, this is talking about someone here that has come to acknowledge and accept the life of Christ. It says, and you, he made alive when you were spiritually dead and separated from him because of your transgressions and sins. In which you once work, you were following the ways of this world, influenced by this present age, in accordance with the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit who is now at work in the disobedient. The unbelieving who fight against the purpose of God. Among these unbelievers, we all once live. I am no longer there. Tell somebody I'm no longer there if you are born again. Among these unbelievers, we all once lived in the passion of our flesh. Our behavior governed by the sinful self, indulging the desires of a human nature without the Holy Spirit and the impulses of the sinful mind. We were by nature... Children under the sentence of God's wrath. Just like the rest of mankind. Hallelujah. But God, being so very rich in mercy because of his great and wonderful love with which he loved me. Even when I were spiritually dead and separated from him because of my sins. He made me spiritually alive together with Christ. For by his grace, his undeserved favor, I never deserve it. What did he do? Deserve favor and mercy. I have been saved from God's judgment. And he raised us up together with him when we believe. And seated us with him in the heavenly places because we are in Christ Jesus. The next verse. And he did this so that in the ages to come, he might clearly show the immeasurable and the unsurpassed riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus by providing for our redemption 
For it is by grace, God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ, that you have been saved, actually delivered from the judgment and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, nor through your own effort. But it is undeserved gracious gift of God. The last verse, verse 9. Not as a result of your works, nor your attempts to keep the law, so that no one will be able to boast or take credit in any way for his salvation. Hallelujah. Salvation primarily is the work of God. Amen? That is why Nicodemus, with all his keeping of the law, you couldn't make his own salvation. So also you, no matter how perfect you think you've been doing what is right in church, that doesn't make you safe. Amen? Unless you accept the free gift that Christ has given to us. The coming of Christ is not, is not to judge or condemn the world, but to save the world. That is in verse 17. The purpose of Jesus' first coming was the salvation of mankind and the restoration of man and the restoration of what man has willfully handed over to Satan. We can take references, Matthew 1 verse 21, 1 John chapter 3 verse 7 to 8. But the second coming of the Lord will not be for salvation, but for judgment and reward. Hallelujah. Now the question will be, are you ready for that second coming? And if seated here, you are not sure, then I think it will be for your credit to find assurance in the word of God. Having faith in Jesus was as your Savior simply means you are not judged or condemned in verse 18. What does it mean to have faith in Jesus or to believe him? Is it to believe in him for your future will be great? I ask a question here. Or you believe in him so that your needs will be met? Or you believe in him so that you have a beautiful future, you have a beautiful career? Or you believe in him so that you marry the best husband, the best wife, or give birth to sound children? Or you believe in him so that your nation will be transformed politically, economically? Is that what it means to believe in him? You must believe. He came and died for your sins and accept his forgiveness. If this is not what you believe in about Jesus Christ, then you are not born again. You must believe that what he did on the cross was for your sins. You must come to a point where you acknowledge that you cannot save yourself. That your self-indulgence cannot produce the righteousness of God. And accept the free gift that Christ has given to us by the remission of our sins through his blood. You must believe that he came and died for your sins and accept his forgiveness. You will be sent to hell not for something you did, but for only one thing you didn't. Amen? It's simple, right? But it sounds very, very sensitive. Not for something you did. You will go to hell in, where, in, a, in a way, right? Not because of something you did, but it's simply because of something you did not do. And that very thing you did not do is to believe in Jesus. As the son of God who died and, raised, and was rose again for your sins. That is the only thing. In fact, sin cannot take you to hell. Do you know why? 
Jesus paid for sin in full. Amen? So what will take you to hell or eternal condemnation as we call it is when you refuse to receive the free gift of God. Hallelujah. Many people reject Christ for his own, for, 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 for not what they, okay, let me say it this way. Many people reject Christ for he is not what they want him to be for them. For example, now the Jews rejected Jesus Christ because their expectation of what the Messiah will be and do for them was wrong. They expected a conqueror, someone who will come with an army and conquer, you know, the nations around them and subdue the world and make the Jews rulers of the world or to liberate them from the Romans. Your wrong expectation of what Christ is will dim your light of seeing who really he is. If you don't see Jesus as a Savior and as Lord, then you don't have eternal security. Hallelujah. So Jesus Christ is far beyond the physical things we pursue him for. Oh, they tell you that if you come to Jesus Christ, your life will be great. Your life will be beautiful. And you came to Christ, as they said, through that door, which is a wrong door, and your life has never changed. It's been going from worse to worse. Because you enter through the wrong door, you have the wrong identity card, and you are in church, and you've been serving, you've been teaching, you are not born again. Because you believe the wrong message. The only message that will bring you into eternal security is the fact that you are a sinner, and Jesus died, and he paid for your sin, and you accept the offer that God is giving you. Not believing means you are already judged and condemned. For you not to believe, in fact, mankind is born already condemned. We are born already judged because we are born not believing in Christ. Before coming to the courtroom, the judgment has been passed. Imagine you committed a crime. There is an issue. Before even convening in the court, judgments have even been taken. They text you the judgment. Don't, don't need to come to the court. The judge has declared that you are guilty. Even without investigation, we are guilty. Guilty as charged. That is the default setting of humanity. But believing in Jesus changes the verdict of your judgment. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 5, verse 13 to 15, and Genesis chapter, one, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 to 3, talks about how we became sinners by the, by, 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 by the fact that we are descendants of Adam. We, 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 we were born in the image and the likeness of Adam. Whereas God was crea created Adam in his image and his likeness. But as a result of the fall of man, we became the likeness of Adam. So Jesus Christ came to do what? To restore us to that which was, 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 was did in the garden by Adam. Hallelujah. The cause of eternal death is not the sickness itself. But the rejection of the medication provided for the absolute cure of the disease. God has dealt with the sin on the cross already. People only go to hell for rejecting God's provision. So what actually kills is not the sickness. You are sick. What will kill you is not the sickness. When we talk about sickness here, we're talking about spiritual sickness. What will kill you is not the pain from the sickness. It's actually your refusal to receive the medication for the sickness because the cure is available. Is a cure available. 
And when you reject the cure, definitely you will die again. Pastor Chidi told us something last week. He says, you should be born, when you are born once, you will die twice. But when you decide to be born twice, you will die once. Hallelujah. And that should be the testimony of someone here. And then verse 19 to 21 talks about the basis for the judgment. The basis for the judgment is about what we do with the light. Give me verse 19 to 21. This is a judgment that is the cause for the indictment, the test by which people are judged. When we go before the, the throne of grace, that is the law that will be open. And they will read that clause. What did you do with the light? Did you accept the light or you rejected the light? Not you fornicated, you did it, did it, you did that. You, no, don't, only one question. Brother, what did you do with the light? Did you accept it or you rejected it? The basis for the sentence, the basis for the sentence to eternal condemnation is what? The light has come into the world and people, they love the darkness. Rather than the light, for their deeds were what? Were evil. Verse 20. For every wrongdoer, what does he do? He hates the light and does not come to the light, but shrinks from it for fear that his sinful, worthless activities will be exposed and condemned. Verse 21. But whoever practices the truth and does what is right morally, ethically, spiritually, comes to the light. So that his works may be plainly shown to be what they are accomplished in God, divinely prompted, done with God's help, independence with God. Hallelujah. Have you received the light or you love your darkness? Amen? Have you received the light? This year we say that we are children of light. Have you received the light and you are born in the light? Are you truly a son or a child of the light or you are guessing or you are assuming by virtue of being born in a Christian home, coming to church and serving or doing things and then we call you brother that, we call you sister that and that authenticates the fact that you're born again. What have you done with the light? Have you accepted the light or you love your darkness? Of course you know that this light is Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, John chapter 8, verse 12, talks about Jesus as the light. If you claim to have been born again, do you allow the light to shine and expose every part of your life? Two categories of people in our midst, those who have accepted the light and those who haven't accepted the light. If you've not accepted the light, there is an opportunity for you now to do or to accept the light. And if you already have the light, then why do you go on living as though you don't have the light in you? Why do you live as though there is a possibility of accepting the light and still live doing the things of darkness? That is never the will and the purpose of God for us, God's children. In fact, doing that will mean that you will not have any reward in heaven. Of course, you escape and say, I am born again. You enter heaven, but you will never have any reward. Hallelujah. Are you currently practicing the truth? 
all those who receive the light cannot continue in sin. First John chapter 3, verse 8 to 10 talks about it. Give me that scripture quickly. All those of us who have received the light cannot continue in sin. First John chapter 3, verse 8 to 10. The one who practices sin, separating himself from God and offending him by the acts of disobedience, indifference, or rebellion is of the devil and takes his inner character and moral values from him, not God. For the devil has sinned and violated God's law from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to undo the works of the devil. Hallelujah. And I believe that that work has been undone in my life in the name of Jesus. The next verse. Okay, verse 9. Okay. No one who is born of God. Look at it carefully. No one who is what? Who is born of the light. Deliberately, knowingly, and habitually, enjoyingly, unconsciously doing it by virtue of reflex, without care. Practice his sin because God's seat. It means that no one born of God sin and enjoys and is satisfied. Yes, I have seen. No rumors. No question. Man is man. And you are come to church, you shout, you scream. And there's no sense of, there's no trigger in you at all. Or you've done something that is wrong. This is what the Bible says. You cannot continue in sin. You cannot practice sin because God sees his principle of life. The essence of his righteous character remains permanently in him who is born again, who is reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and set apart for his purpose. And he who is born again cannot habitually live a life characterized by sin because he is born of God and longs to do what? To please him. Your desire is to please God. Not only in songs. But in the actions and the intent of your heart. The intent of your heart. Let's pray. By this I believe the Holy Ghost has spoken to you. What have you done with the light? Genuinely in your heart, if you know that you've not accepted the light, and it's time to say, Lord, I accept your gift of salvation. It's to say, Lord, I accept the gift of salvation. But if you are here and then you've not, you're already judged. Don't say you are judging me. No, you've already been sentenced long ago. When I say you go to hell, I'm not judging you. I'm telling you what has already been done. I'm not the judge. The word of God has judged you. And if you are born again, your judgment has already been declared also. You are eternally secured. So open your mouth and say, Lord, have mercy on my life. And in case you are born again and you have not allowed your life to reflect in you, say, Lord, have mercy. Sorry for offending you. Sorry for living as though I'm not born again, as though I never had the light in me. And give me the grace that my life will be a reflection of this light. This light that you've deposited in my life. That I will no longer be careless with my life. In me lies the weaknesses of the flesh. Lord, I need mercy. Lord, I need grace. 
Oh, Lord, I need grace. I need more strength. I need to walk in the path that will bring glory and honor to you. Show me mercy, O oh Lord. Show me mercy, O oh Lord. And I pray that as many as here have received the life of Christ, that the entrance of the word of God will continue to bring life unto you. That God will be your refuge. God will preserve and keep you eternally in Jesus' name.